Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. February 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 2023. We're going to be in Seattle, Portland, San Francisco. Again, 2023. That's right. We can't wait to get back on stage. We've really missed doing live shows. Come on out and see us. Tickets are already on sale. And where can you get those? At linktree slash S-Y-S-K live. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash S-Y-S-K live. Can't wait to see everybody. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bright, and Jerry's here, of course, which makes this stuff you should know. For real. <laughs> Can I lead off with a couple of uh, just fun, quick shout-outs before we get to the not-fun mm-hmm. topic? Yeah. <laughs> uh, going to Boston tomorrow to see Pavement. Oh, that's what you're doing. Okay, great. Uh, my old friend from high school, Robert uh, Shahade. Of Tufts University fame. Okay. Uh, we were texting about pavement, and he said, this is back when tickets went on sale. I'm going to both Atlanta shows, of course, and he said, you want to come up here? I was like, heck yeah. Nice. So going to see the boys tomorrow, and uh, also want to quickly shout out, I just got back recently from my uh, 10th, 11th, and 12th Bonnie Prince Billy shows of the last couple of years. Awesome. And I just want to shout out uh, the, the great people and towns of uh, Santa Cruz, California, uh-huh. uh, Paso Robles, California. Sure. And Big Sur. Oh, yeah. Big Just Sur's had a great nice. time out there. It's my part of the country. Love Northern California. It's my vibe. Had great breakfast burritos, great food. And <laughs> great just breakfast burritos. They do them right, man. You can't get a real decent breakfast burrito in Atlanta, and I don't know why. That's going to be my retirement job. Oh, that's great! I'll come. I'll come patronize your breakfast burrito. I don't know what is so hard about a California style breakfast burrito, but Atlanta does not seem capable. It's probably too healthy. It's not healthy. Uh, okay. Well, then I don't know. I'm all out of ideas, Chuck. <sighs> it's so frustrating. Anyway, great towns, great shows. Uh, another great run with uh, the great Will Oldham. This time solo. Uh huh. First time I've ever seen him literally by himself. He has a variety of arrangements ranging from full band to mm-hmm. a couple of people to six or eight to the bluegrass style. And this was this was just him, which was a, a treat. Unplugged for once. Uh, plugged but acoustic, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Did you uh, – I, I was wondering if you'd gotten yourself a van to follow him around in yet. No, no. I'm flying to these places. Okay, that seems sensible. And then it, I rent a car. It'd be, it'd be <laughs> tough to get back in time to work, you know? I wish you could fly in a place and rent a little hippie van to follow someone around for a few days. That sounds like your retirement job. Instead of some dumb mid-sized SUV. Yeah. You could be like, rent a VW wagon. Yeah. Get a free breakfast burrito. There you go. That's that's it. <laughs> I might invest in that one. All right. Now let's talk about fundamentalism. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about fundamentalism. Um, This is, uh, this is one of those, I kind of, I guess episodes that ties into a bunch of other stuff and it's the kind of thing that you don't really think about and then when you do think about it, you wish you weren't thinking about but it's kind of important I think for everybody to be aware of because 
with fundamentalism, a lot of people, especially non-religious people, just presume that fundamentalism is a religious thing only. Not necessarily. It definitely does affect religions most easily, as we'll see. But basically anything that people really hold dear um, can actually produce fundamentalism. Mm -hmm. And when you kind of strip it of its religious connotations, um, it, it... it, it becomes clear like, oh, yeah, there's a lot of fundamentalism going on around us, especially in 2022. Um, and it, it's it has given me, just researching this, it's given me like a deeper impulse to be like, hold the center, hold mm-hmm. the center. We can make it through this. We just have to, we just have to get to the other side and make yeah. sure that the center remains intact, you know? Yeah, I think, I mean, you put this together. You did a great job, by the way. Oh, th- <laughs> thank on a, you. On a tough topic. But um, I think the, the the sociologist that you found that said uh, this really had it is um, fundamentalism is an ideology rather than a theology. So mm-hmm. it can be religious in nature, but it doesn't have to be. All that to say, sort of a long-winded COA, that this is not a, a hit piece on religion. Oh, no. Uh, at all. But it is, you know, I think it is going to end up being a bit of a condemnation on fundamentalism because it's not a great way to be to say, hey, the way we think of things is the only right way. Everybody else is wrong, and I don't want anything to do with you. Well, not only that, you need to change your viewpoints to, and to that. <laughs> follow mine because yeah. mine's the only right way to think. That's a terrible way to be. That's a it's terrible, terrible. way to be. And, and it truly, when you start to research fundamentalism, you, you, you do start to see it everywhere. Maybe not stuff that checks every single box, but when mm-hmm. you understand the basics of it, it, it's, it becomes clear we're surrounded by it right now. Um, and that's actually kind of a new thing. Um, one of the things about fundamentalism is when when you kind of listen to what they're saying, they they imagine that they're they're taking society back to this, you know, golden age or golden era when things, you know, were more sensible and, and more predictable and reliable and, and things just made sense more. But um, fundamentalism is actually a pretty modern thing. Um, it only arose starting in about 1870. Uh, and it, it was originally um, this kind of uh, assault or response to progressivism in religion. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. Uh, I think the first wave you said uh, ran from about 1870 to 1929. I'm sorry, 1925. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we'll you know we'll see in a minute here, kind of how and why it ended the the first run at least, or at right. least brought it underground. Yeah. Uh, but it started, or it took its name at least from a, a series of pamphlets called the Fundamentals. Colon, colon. Uh, testimony of the truth. Mm-hmm. And that kind of says it all right there, there, like someone saying, this is the truth. This is not our opinion on maybe how things should be. Mm-hmm. Is This is the one way that things clearly should be because it's the only way because it's the one truth. Yeah. And around that time, <clears throat> the late 19th century, um, religion in America was starting to become more progressive because society was modernizing and to kind of adapt and change and alter itself to this modernizing society, um, the, just the understanding of what religion meant was under transition. And fundamentalists said, no, no, no. Religion is religion. It doesn't matter what society does. This is the truth. This is the um, this is the the way that it's supposed to be. And we need to stop progressing away from it and being accommodating to to modern society. We need to make modern society go back to the old ways. You know, the ways where we're in charge. Yeah, uh, and there was a big um, sort of one of the first big face punches to fundamentalism came about in 1859. Uh, well, it kind of helped give rise to the original fundamentalism. Right, yeah. But the publication of uh, On the Origin of the Species from Darwin, which basically, you know, everyone knows what that did. That introduced evolution and natural selection mm-hmm. and really undermined sort of in writing for the first time. It challenged creationism as why we're here and how we got here. Yeah. And it was it, it sort of, uh, as you'll see that, you know, at times when, um, a fundamentalist might think, or a religion might think that they're being threatened by new ideas. That's sort of when the lockdown goes on, and they they really sort of rise to the occasion, and that sort of helped birth the big first rise of fundamentalism. 
Yeah, fundamentalism um, took its first swipe at modern mod- modernity. Yeah. Sure. Um, with the Scopes Monkey Trial in 1925, um, it was uh, Tennessee versus Scopes, where Tennessee had charged a public um, school teacher, John Scopes, of teaching evolution in the classroom, which was against mm-hmm. the law. A sci- they charged the science teacher with teaching science. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> right. Um, and a guy, a very powerful and um, prestigious and smart attorney named Clarence Darrow came to the aid of John Scopes. Um, and the Scopes monkey trial actually ended up putting not John Scopes on trial, but fundamentalism on trial. And Clarence Darrow was not a fan of fundamentalism, and he basically used this trial as an excuse to just just show how ridiculous and backwards these fundamentalists' beliefs were. That's right, and it worked. Uh, he, in a sense, he lost the trial. Uh, I believe in that uh, until 1967, <laughs> that ban on teaching evolution remained in effect. Uh, till 1967 from 1925. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he lost the battle, he won the war, and that the coverage of the Scopes Monkey uh, trial really, like, kind of blew the whole thing up and dealt a big blow to what fin- fundamentalism was in the U.S. and how much sort of influence they might have moving forward. And kind of what it did post-Scopes was it kind of moved it back underground for several decades. Yeah, I kind of think of the Scopes monkey trial and the result of it is like um, when Homer gets embarrassed on The Simpsons and the whole town just points and laughs at him. Uh-huh. In that instance, Homer is fundamentalism in the 1920s in America, right? right? Like society did not think much of it afterward, which is, is surprising because it had been kind of a respected school of thought um, for a little while. And I guess it just kind of it just went too far toward the mainstream. And as it went underground, it's not like it just went away. Um, it actually built up a kind of like a shadow institution yeah, um, a system. To, to rival the secular society, like schools, um, TV stations, uh, uh, colleges, seminaries, mission groups, and then also started to really kind of recruit new followers and members of these fundamentalist ideas um, through churches, through church outreach as well. Um, and over the years, they just kind of built more and more strength and more and more strength. And in the late 70s was just like a, a, a tidal wave of fundamentalism swept across the world and really caught sociology off guard. Yeah, and like you said, around the world, it wasn't just, we're not just saying like, you United States Christians did this. It was, it popped up in some very surprising places sometimes. But mm-hmm. Again, it, it kind of all happened at once, uh, but there was a big distinction here with the second wave uh, in that the first wave was really to, um, to, to kind of strike back against progressive religious movement and to kind of keep religion as it was and not to modernize religion in any way. This go-round, it said, uh, society as a whole, I don't want anything to do with this modernization and, and this progressivism that's going on. And forget religion. Like we want to get involved in government, and we'll and we're going to do it in a big way. And that's when the Christian right was born, and groups like the Moral Majority and the Christian Coalition put big money into politics and helped us. You know, it was sort of the beginning of getting politicians elected with a with a pretty severe religious bent. Yeah, and in, in some cases, they were directly trying to elect fundamentalists, like Pat Robertson yeah. actually ran for president in 1988, ran a serious <laughs> campaign, um, and uh, did not win. But he is about as fundamentalist as, as you can get and see, like, on a mainstream television station with the 700 Club. But also, like, backing um, politicians with such gusto that the politicians they got elected basically owed them. Uh, and in that way, fundamentalism like really kind of crept into um, American politics. And since that time, you start to see things like a, a, basically a challenge to the concept of something like a separation of church and state that is completely at odds with American Christian fundamentalism. Uh, and so there's been as as fundamentalism's gotten more and more into American politics, the the line between church and state. Um, has been blurred more and more. And that's just one example of it. 
Yeah, and like you mentioned, it happened all around the world uh, in the late 70s, in 1979 to be specific. Uh, militant Shiites followed uh, the Ayatollah Khomeini and took Iran away from the Shah and installed uh, Khomeini as the leader. And, you know, I remember this when I was a kid. If you And I mentioned this on the show before. If you go back and just Google Iran pre-revolution, you will see a very swinging 60s yeah. and 70s groovy country yeah. uh, that is not like the Iran we know today. And that was partially, or not partially, that was completely due to the Shiite uprising and revolution that happened because of funda- religious fundamentalism in their case. Yeah, it's exactly like if followers of Jerry Falwell mm-hmm. um, created an armed insurgency and overthrew the American government and installed Jerry Falwell as the supreme leader of America. It's That's the exactly exact right. same thing. That's what yeah. happened in Iran. And it's really sad to see, but uh, I mean, that's what happened. And it was part of this wave of of fundamentalism. Um, there was also uh, Israel started to get more fundamentalist starting in 1974. There's still um, a lot of challenges by fundamentalism within uh, Israeli politics today. Um, India has a nationalist party, a Hindu nationalist party, I should say, the BJP. Um, they're fundamentalists, Hindu fundamentalists. Um, they've actually held power, like the presidency, multiple times since 1980. Um, and then today, there's still waves of fundamentalism going on. And Africa has become a laboratory for Christian fundamentalists who basically travel to Africa as activists and um, get new laws, fundamentalist laws passed in, in countries like Uganda, where as of 2014, you can be sentenced to life in prison just for being gay. That is thanks to American fundamentalists who traveled to Uganda, got in with the government and changed laws like that, or got laws like that created or enforced. Yeah, and it's it's crazy when you look at the all this happening at once, like you said, you know, it's 79 in Iran, 74 in Israel, the 1970s in the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was just a, it's weird how things happen like that. I wonder if there's a podcast topic in there about like un, non-planned uh, coalescence of, you know, anything. Just zeitgeist. Yeah, together. I guess that, yeah. that's sort of the word I'm looking for. I wonder, too, because it's not like the <clears throat> Shiite um, militants in Iran were undergoing the same experience as yeah. the moral majority in the U.S., but the timing is insane. I mean, we're talking like within a year of each other. There's uh-huh. the Iranian revolution, and the moral majority springs up and gets Ronald Reagan elected. Like that, that's and then in in India in 1980, that the Hindu nationalist um, party gets founded. Like all of it happened at the same time, and I, it had to be, it had to intertwine in some way. But I just don't see like um, you know um, Pat Robertson and the. Uh, Khomeini like coordinating in right. any, any way, <laughs> shape, or not. form. So how did it happen? No, it's, it's a great question. I don't know. Chuck. It's a pushback against something <clears throat> else that was happening, but I don't know. I think I find that stuff fascinating, how Me societies too. move as a whole. Uh, all right, how about a break? Yes. I think we're doing good so far. Oh, man, you jinxed us. And we'll talk a little bit more about the F word right after this. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, 
Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. Okay, so uh, there's some things that uh, that people, some misconceptions. Um, see, you jinxed us, Chuck. Um, <laughs> that people have about fundamental. Fun, see, that's why I said <clears throat> the f word. I wasn't trying to be cheeky. I'm having a hard time saying the word. <laughs> so um, there's some misconceptions about fundamentalism that most people, especially secular people, have. And like we said at the outset, <clears throat> that a lot of people think it's it's. An infection of religion, and that it's a religion problem. And if you aren't a member of a church or a religious group, it's not your problem. And that's absolutely untrue. And that that viewpoint of the whole thing is actually a big problem for society as a whole. Yeah, uh, and we <clears throat> mentioned earlier a little bit that like often you'll see fundamentalism creep up when they feel like something is being threatened that they hold dear. Yeah, and that's when they really lock down and get active. And you can look at things like, you know, people are fundamentalists about the Second Amendment. People are fundamentalists about the First Amendment. Uh, and it's usually more so at times where they feel like those uh, amendments are threatened. Uh, during the Cold War, people were, um, you know, the threat of communism really made people, a lot of people, fundamentalist about uh, the free market, let's say. Mm-hmm. And uh, what else? There's a lot of other great examples. Um, ironically, people like Bill Maher and Richard Dawkins, who are basically militantly anti-religious, um, they are accused by some of being fundamentalist in their thinking, in part because they're intolerant, which, as we'll see, is a really important part. Um, and that intolerance also gets um, liberal college campuses accused of becoming more and more fundamentalist in their thinking. Right, where non-liberal professors can actually find their their jobs in jeopardy and actually do get canned because of something they said that wasn't su sufficiently liberal enough, right? right? So this is kind of what I was talking about earlier, where it's not like Bill Maher checks every single box of you know fundamentalism, but if you if you understand fundamentalism, he actually comes. There's a lot of there's enough boxes that it makes you question, okay, is this actually fundamentalist thinking? Um, same with constitutional originalists. Like, it does not have to be religion. And once you stop looking at fundamentalism as a re as stri strictly religious thing, it really does open one's eyes to, to just the world in general. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, you mentioned something really important a second ago in that, which was uh, intolerance, uh, which is a real ha hallmark of fundamentalism uh, mm -hmm. and a really great example that you gave in your research here is, is the Amish. Uh, you can't get any more sort of tight-knit and strict religious than the Amish, but the Amish, you know, who, who knows what they say about us? They may judge us, but what they don't <laughs> do is leave their community and knock on our door and try and convert you to being Amish and say the Amish way of thinking is the only right way and everyone else should be like this. Yeah, they're not so, running like Amish people in the local primaries to take over right. the school board <laughs> because they want to impose Amish beliefs on the rest of the community. No, they don't do that. They're not fundamentalist. And that's a really 
important distinction. And intolerance, it's basically uh, there. there is no compromise. There is one true viewpoint that is correct. Mm-hmm. And anything that differs from that is the enemy of that. Yeah, I mean, and intolerance is such an important part of fundamentalism that you can almost use it as a litmus test to say, okay, is this thinking fundamentalist or not? Because if it, if there's no intolerance, you just you got the Amish people who really really believe in in what they believe in, but they're not trying to impose their beliefs on anybody else, and they're fine with you believing whatever you believe. That's that's your problem. You're going to hell. Although I don't think the Amish hopefully think like that, but whatever. Um, and that intolerance makes it. like incompatible with society yeah. because in modern society, um, tolerance is extraordinarily important. And not only is it important, it's, it's, it's considered to be something that just kind of bubbles up to the top because it ends up holding society together. When you have so many different disparate people of different religions, of different creeds, of different nationalities, of um, different sexual orientation, of different genders, all living together in one country, and they can coexist peacefully, tolerance is just going to develop over time. And if you have intolerance, active intolerance, that's an infection on that society. That's why fundamentalism is so dangerous to society. So, yeah, I mean, that's a really good point. And in a, in a modern society, uh, we've talked before about the marketplace of ideas, which is the idea that um, people just throw out a lot of different ideas. And the ones that work the best are the ones that are going to rise to the top. And those are probably going to be the ones that are the most widely accommodating to the most people. Mm-hmm. And if you are a fundamentalist, you're not a big fan of the marketplace of ideas. You're not a big fan of what's the most widely accommodating because as society has progressed over the years, it has gotten more, well, progressive and it's gotten more modern. Right. And things have moved forward and fundamentalism is inherently kind of uh, anti that in general. And they're like, that that can spring up in the workplace. It Like, I don't want to work I don't want to have a, a cubicle next to this kind of person, right? quote unquote. Um, and it's not like I'll, I'll go quit my job. It's like, uh, no, why don't we, why don't they leave? Why don't you fire them? Right, for being gay, because they're the ones that are the problem. I'm the one that subscribes to the truth. And it, it doesn't even matter if you're speaking out or not speaking out against fundamentalist beliefs. If you just subscribe to a different way of thinking, you're challenging the truth, and that cannot be tolerated. Opposing viewpoints cannot be tolerated by fundamentalism. They have to be stamped out. They have to be ostracized. They have to have violence uh, against them in some cases. Um, And so it would make more sense to that, that fundamentalist worker that their gay coworker should be fired, not them. Um, and that's, that's, again, that's a huge contradiction to society, modern society in particular. Yeah, and I mean, you made a really good point uh, when you sort of talked about the hippie movement. Um, fundamentalism does challenge modernism kind of full stop for control uh, of what's going on. And the hippies, they had a counterculture. They didn't like what was going on in modern society. They challenged it as well. But there was a big difference in that they rejected modern society and just sort of turned their backs on it and wanted to create a new way for themselves, like their own utopia, which obviously was never going to happen. God bless the hippies. (laughs) But that's what they tried to do, at least. What they didn't do was try and say, everybody should be hippies. We want to take control of the government and, and tell everyone that they should lead a hippie lifestyle. Right. Through, through, like, laws and violence, right? Right. Yeah. So um, what's interesting, Chuck, is what the hippies were espousing as a counterculture was what fundamentalism was doing starting in 1925 to basically 1980 in the U.S. They, as a counterculture. They went off and established their own counterculture. They had, again, their own schools, their own media. Um, it wasn't until they became politically active that they became that second wave where they, they, they actively were trying to take over the society in order to steer it away from modernity and toward Christianity. And again, they keep saying, we want to steer it back into Christianity. That's something that's um, 
that's super up for debate as well is just how Christian was America before and are, are fundamentalists steering us backward or is this a whole new modern direction that we've never been in before? And scholars say definitely the latter of those two. Yeah, for sure. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. But um, some of the traits of fundamentalist groups, uh, and again, this is this can be any kind of fundament, fundamentalism all around the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one we've already kind of talked about is they're reactive to crises. Uh, and that's when, you know, I sort of mentioned when it, they feel like they're being uh, specifically threatened by maybe a law or anything really, or a movement or a group, another group. Um, then they try to sort of overcome that with uh, with power. And of course, now with politics, mm-hmm. uh, McCarthyism is a really good example there. Um, of, I mean, the Cold War created a lot of fun, different kinds of fundamentalism. Uh, McCarthyism certainly was one of them. Yeah. And so like a fundamentalist movement might rise on its own just in times of uncertainty. But when things are really uncertain for a lot more people, that's when they start to attract more and more followers. Right. There's also a big um, component of fundamentalism that is a um, a reliance on simplistic solutions, right? So, like, yeah. yeah, the world is huge and complex and scary, but all you have to do is listen to the literal word of God or follow the original wording of the Constitution, and all of your your answer, all of your questions will be answered. You don't even have to think about anything. Just follow the word, um, and that's another hallmark of fundamentalism: is you are basically blind obedience to some leadership and or set of doctrines. And um, that's one of the, th- the reasons that it makes it so attractive. Like you don't have to think about the world. You don't have to wonder about the world and why it's so scary and why it doesn't make sense. Things are the way they are because that's how they are. That's how they're supposed to be. Like yeah. men are more important than women because God made us that way. Like that level of thinking and like, you just put a period on the end and you don't have to wonder any longer why a man is more important than a woman in America these days. Um, that's just that. And that's that's a really big attraction of fundamentalism to people. It, it's like, um, remember uh, King of the Hill? Oh, yeah. So Bill Dotrieve, his, his buddy, uh-huh. yeah. I remember once he said um, he missed being in the army because they took the guesswork out of living. <laughs> and yeah. like fundamentalism <laughs> does that for uh, its followers. Like they tell it's them line. what the answers are and you don't have to think about it yourself. Yeah, that's good. My, I have a friend who I won't name who uh, his big gripe is when he talks to his, you know, he's sort of the black sheep of his family and that mm-hmm. they don't uh, align politically. But he says when he tries to challenge them with actual facts and things, he said they always say the same thing. They just sort of turn their head and go, I don't know about that. (laughs) (laughs) And that's sort of the, I mean, the perfect distillation of simplistic thinking is when met with literal facts and data, just, you know, I don't know about that. Like, basically what they're saying is, I I don't want to, that threatens me. I don't want to talk about that. Right, and I'm not curious about getting to the bottom of this. I'm not curious about your viewpoint. I'm not curious about my own viewpoint. I don't want it to be challenged. Let's stop talking. What is that? A a thought terminating something? Somebody wrote in and told us once about. Oh yeah, like okay, thought terminating terminating statement or something. Yeah, or like um, let's agree to disagree, which I still think is valid. But yeah, I get it. I think maybe that's a last resort sort of thing, so you don't like start punching each other. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it goes hand in hand with digging your fingertips into the arm of the chair. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Does someone smell burning sawdust? <laughs> oh, Josh is just across the bar. Uh, another sort of fundamentalist trait that um, can happen is, uh, it's not always, but it's a lot of times it's anti-science. Uh, but at the same time, and we've talked about this a little bit here mm-hmm. and there, is it can go the other way. There are some people that are uh, dogmatically fundamentalist uh, believers in science to a degree that is maybe helpful. Yeah, that that basically um, uh, goes away from the concept of science. That science is constantly looking for new answers and everything. Right. And that it's a lot settled. of dogmatic science people are like, "No, this is it, and let's stop." Let's stop thinking about it anymore. And if you challenge it, I'm not tolerant of that, and you're wrong. Um, that that is out there, but that's a an aberration. I think for the most part, it's yeah. it is an anti science kind of thing because science is part of 
modernization of society, and so that makes it an enemy. It's an enemy especially of, of Christianity or other uh, religions as far as fundamentalism goes. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and then the last couple of things kind of go hand in hand is a lot of time um, fundamentalists can be conspiracy-oriented, uh, you know, a lot of paranoia sort of dwelling about the – and, you know, it all comes from – it all stems from them feeling threatened about X, Y, or Z. Uh, and then they usually rally around some sort of charismatic leader, yeah. uh, whatever the group is, whether, whether it's the Khomeini, uh, even though that didn't maybe didn't translate to America mm-hmm. as being a charismatic leader – uh, he certainly had his followers, um, but it's usually a man. They're usually uh, authoritarians and charismatic. Uh, they usually are bullies in some way or the other. And a lot of times fundamentalists look at these people and admire them, like kind of wish they were like them, like they're doing the things that we would do if we were in power. Yeah, like I, I like a, a guy who can get up there and talk about beating up our critics because I wish I could punch him in the face and he's talking about it and that makes me feel right. so good. Yeah, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, and that conspiracy thing in particular, I was reading about that. There's a huge overlap that's developed between QAnon beliefs and mm-hmm. evangelical Christianity. And they have a lot in common about like end times, uh, apocalypticism, uh, just uh, there's a lot of overlap. But but one of the things that I think is starting to become uh, apparent is that people of faith, uh, especially fundamentalists, because they are maybe the most people of the most faithful of the faithful, um, are possibly more susceptible to conspiracy theories because literalist religion Whereas, like, your your religious text is is infallible. There's no mistakes in it. It means everything literally. And where science or physics contradicts it, science or physics is wrong. That level of, of, of um, belief and something like QAnon that's just that out there require faith. And if you're already faithful to something like that, you it's apparently are more susceptible to things like conspiracy theories that require you to ignore facts and just take things on faith. And that that has kind of infected evangelicalism. Uh, something like, I think I saw on a 538 um, blog that like a quarter of evangelicals in America believe in QAnon. Too, which is a, that's a, a tremendous amount of people. I think a third of people in America are evangelicals. So a quarter of that third bel- subscribe to QAnon beliefs. Beliefs. Well, yeah. And here's something I don't think we maybe have hammered home enough is that there is a large portion of uh, of American religious people who are not fundamentalists and who did since the beginnings of modernization, try and roll with it and say, well, you know what? Maybe the Bible isn't to be taken so literally. Mm -hmm. Maybe these are allegories and metaphors. Maybe Noah didn't literally take two of every living thing. Maybe Mm -hmm. this Red Sea didn't literally part. Maybe these are all stories that we should draw inspiration or or, our our way of looking at the world from and and believe in science. And they're compatible. Right. Uh, Not compatible, compatible. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There are, that is a very huge part of of religion. So we're not painting religion with this single brush here. Uh, We're just talking about one, one part of it. Not at all. And some of the most vocal and outspoken opponents and scholars of fundamentalism are religious groups because you've got progressives and moderates in any given religion and right. they've got fundamentalists who are trying to take over take control of their religious group uh, and that's a problem for them and I, I it was evangelicals moderate and liberal evangelicals who started telling the rest of the world like hey QAnon is making serious headways into our a religious group, and it's a big problem, and we we need to figure out what's going on here. They were the ones who told everybody else, basically. Yeah, and those fundamentalists, the progressive uh, non-literalists are, in a way, their enemy as well. Of the fundamentalists? No, like within their own religion, the the progressive non-literalists 
of like, you know, the people say like, well, maybe we should take the Bible as just mm-hmm. metaphor. Right. They're, they're enemies of the fundamentalists. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, that's where it started back in the 1870s to 1925. That was that the original was, split, right? Yeah, exactly. It was a struggle within the Baptists and the Presbyterians for control over the Baptists and the Presbyterians. These fundamentalists came up and said, stop accommodating modern society. You're straying away from the word. And their beliefs just got harder and harder and harder and more and more and more literal. And they were a huge problem for the Baptists and the Presbyterians for a while. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's take our final break and we'll talk about what history thinks about fundamentalism right after this. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. So, Chuck, we talked about how fundamentalist groups say they claim that they're taking society back to, like, this golden age, this era where things were the way that the fundamentalists wanted them before, right? And that doesn't seem to be true. Again, fundamentalists seem to be a modern phenomenon, taking us in directions that we've never been in before, where the fundamentalists are the ones in charge, right? Um, And one of the ways that they do that is by selectively citing stuff in religious texts or in historical documents that support their ideas. And um, the Christian, um, American Christian fundamentalists uh, love to do that with um, like historical documents from the founding of the United States and even back when the United States was just some colonies as British colonies. Yeah, because a lot of those documents say the word God and mention God, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's the the charter, the original charter for Virginia in the early 1600s to George Washington saying that uh, the drafting of the Constitution was uh, an event that was in the hand of God. Mm-hmm. Um Fundamentalists say, hey, George Washington is George Washington. He also mentioned God. And it's also, he also says that you shouldn't compromise because uh, the Constitution was written in the, in the hand of God. Mm-hmm. 
And so that kind of ticks all the boxes as far as drawing a line in the sand. Right. But again, all this stuff is sort of out of context. And when you go back and you look at what the original Charter of Virginia meant and why it was written or what George Washington meant and what ultimately made it into the Constitution, mm-hmm. which was not the word God, you really got to look at that in context. Like, what was what was the deal with the Virginia Charter? So, the Virginia Charter said that one of the colonists' goals was to propagate the Christian religion to the indigenous people that they met there, although they didn't right. call them indigenous people. Um, and if you look at the Virginia Charter from 1606, it was written by people who were British, who were corporate shareholders, who lived in London, who were ruled by the crown, and their aim was not to form a new nation and just um, Christianizing the indigenous people they met. They just added legitimacy to this commercial pursuit that they were undertaking. It, 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 it's pretty flimsy as far as like a proof that America was founded as a Christian nation that fundamentalists need to take back. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And like I said, the word God didn't make it into the Constitution. The word science did. Mm-hmm. And Section 8, Article 1, uh, promote the progress of science and useful arts by securing for limited times to authors and inventors the exclusive right to their respective writings and discoveries. Um, and, you know, America may have been founded on Christian principles, but— This is important. Very early on, you know, I, I think, what was it, like 150 years after the Puritan colony of Plymouth was, was founded— mm-hmm. The Christian experiment in government in America was over. And they said, no, we're going to found the federal government. And Thomas Jefferson said, we're going to separate church and state because we're going down a bad road. Yeah, even if, you know, George Washington meant what he said about being in the hand of God, and he was a Christian, and a lot of the other founding fathers were Christians, and um, they had Christian beliefs. But when it came time to found the United States of America, it's not like they hadn't considered, like they hadn't even crossed their mind to, to found a Christian nation. There have been Christian governments in North America already, and they said, no, we're going to abandon that and go a different direction. So literally America was purposefully not founded as a Christian nation. It could have been, had every opportunity to be, and it wasn't. And the point is, I mean, Chuck, we could make an entire spinoff podcast just going tit for tat on on context and literalism with fundamentalism. But the, the point is, societies evolve. So it doesn't matter what was going on 400 years ago. Like, yes, they did a really good job writing the Constitution, founding some, some or creating some really great guiding documents, but society has evolved since then. It's become much more diverse, much more culturally rich, and we've just changed. Most people say for the better, and there's a lot wrong with it with modern society. There's a lot right that if you had the choice, you would not want to go back to 1606 and live um, compared to today. Yeah, and modernism is really um, basically what sociologists think is why fundamentalism still exists is is a response to modernization. Right. And, you know, modernization has its ups and its downs over the years. It hasn't been perfect. Uh, pre-modernization, though, there was – people were a lot more the same. Uh, they, you know, we've talked about this before, you know, pre-urban uh, sort of factory work settings. Mm-hmm. People lived on farms. They lived on, on the land and worked the land. And they lived in the fields, and they were a lot more alike. And they were a lot more like sort of the same group of people. And industrialization came along, and it fragmented society, and entirely different people started to become people. <laughs> like, it changed the way people were. It didn't just change how they went to work and where they lived. Mm-hmm. All that inherently changed what people could be like. And uh, social values changed, and that's a part of modernization. And, you know, for better or for worse, we it is is fragmented us, and there's been a lot of negative aspects to it. But it's also come along with protection of civil rights and uh, racial and gender equality, and uh, you know the the World Wide Web, which is you know we can all agree is the best thing ever. <laughs> right, it's flawless, <laughs> no downside. But but yeah, I mean, you it would be ridiculous to say that modern society is just you know perfect or even generally better in every single way. No, there's plenty of stuff that's wrong with it, like um the the emphasis on industry and profits and and um can can be really isolating and make people feel like there's. They're they're just basically a cog in a machine. That's a big problem. But yes, there are there are 
plenty of solutions and plenty of things that have gotten better too. And one of the things about modern society is that we have brought more and more different people together who have more and more different ideas and experiences. And it's become clear that no one group is right or has all the answers or is the guardians of the truth. It's just been shown not to be correct. And um, these a pair of sociologists kind of put it, uh, Michael O. Emerson and David Hartman, they said when, when you have, when you bring together people of differing views and values, what rise to the top as shared values are tolerance and acceptance, and that these become the core values of highly modernized societies. And that is great for most of us. But if you're a fundamentalist, that is the opposite of great. That is the opposite direction that you're supposed to be going because not everybody's right. We're the only ones that are right. All of you are wrong, and you're wrong in a really terrible way that we have to change. So we have to take over society. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the big threats to fundamentalists and why they've, uh, I think, dug in more and more over the years is it's science is coming along to demystify a lot of the things since the dawn of time that were, you know, took-took tried to explain, you know, the seasons and rain and thunder and death and, you know, in various ways. And people since then have been trying to explain that stuff. Then science progresses and comes along and says, oh, wait a minute. You know, we can explain natural selection now. We can explain gravity. We can explain electromagnetism. And, you know, we know why the apple falls from the tree. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be some magical thing or some religious allegory. And so – what that does is that pushes religion out a little bit because fewer people needed it to explain things, which can be a big part of religion. And all of a sudden, religion wasn't like the overriding fabric of society, but it was just a part of society. Right. And that that's a big threat to a fundamentalist. Yeah, because a lot of people just say, oh, okay, well, science makes a lot of sense to me. I'm not going to abandon my religious beliefs. I still believe in God and Jesus or Muhammad or Buddha. Um, I, like, I'm going, like you said earlier, I find those things compatible, not combatible. Um, right. <laughs> but there's a, a group of people who are, just find this unbearable. Modern society is just unbearable. It doesn't make sense. I don't know the people who live around me. Um, I'm not valued like I used to be or like my great-great-grandfather was. Um, the, my wife is working out of the house. What's up with that kind of thing? And um, at, rather than their their beliefs loosening and, and progressing, they actually become more inflexible, more rigid Mm-hmm. As as society continues to progress and their beliefs are left behind because they feel left behind. So they actually come to rail against society and that these are the people who become fundamentalists. So part of it is feeling left out, left behind, or um, opposed by society in general. That's part of it. But then also part of it is that attraction of um, you know somebody having all the answers and a really, frankly, confusing period of history, which is what we're in right now. Yeah. And, you know, when people get together and isolate themselves from others and say, we're the only ones that are right. And, hey, we need to get involved in politics and get a candidate that thinks like us out there. Mm -hmm. uh, You kind of get where we are today, which is, like you said, it's a pretty, oh, what's the word? Scary is too easy. Snafu? Uncertain. Yeah, I mean, it is uncertain. Like, things are changing so fast right now. It's totally understandable why fundamentalist movements would be swelling. It's as scary as, as heck right now. I feel like the world is way more nuts than it was maybe 30 years ago. Yeah. I, maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. It seems like it to me, and I think it's because of this incredibly rapid social change. For me— Society is generally going in the direction that I agree with. So I'm not threatened by it, even though I'm still just overwhelmed by how fast things are changing. And then also by how much tension there is from opposing sides to that change. Um, It's a really unsettling and unsettled time, I think. So I can totally understand why fundamentalism would be so attractive to so many people right now. Um, But again... One of the tenets of fundamentalism, Chuck, is if you can't take over the ship, sink it. 
That's that's basically yeah. second wave fundamentalism in a nutshell. So they it can't be ignored. Society can't just ignore it. We have to figure out what to do about fundamentalist impulses. And there's some good ideas, some not good ideas, uh, and some that may be worth trying and not worth trying. But we're still kind of in the very beginning stages of figuring out how to reconcile modernized society with fundamentalist impulses. Got any ideas? Well, I saw one pair of sociologists who wrote a book suggested that everybody should just read more fiction. Okay. I couldn't believe like that, it. Idea. that was they meant that literally because they um they say that if you read more fiction, it can kind of transport you into other people's experiences and points of view and will foster tolerance, which again, intolerance is the hallmark of of fundamentalism. I'll throw one out there. I just thought of off the dome. Okay. Travel someplace that yeah. you may not ordinarily travel. That's a big one. Or travel someplace, period. Yeah. If you can. I know sure. it's a financial burden for some, and not everyone can just, like, jet off to Paris to see how the Parisians live. No, but it turns out you are allowed to leave Ohio. <laughs> oh, no. Don't I can pick say on that. Ohio. I'm from Ohio. <laughs> That's true. Uh, another thing that they say can help is to be more tolerant yourself and— to be friendly and to approach a fundamentalist with friendship. Uh, because one kind of criticism you'll hear from fundamentalists is sort of thrown it right back in the face of a non-fundamentalist and say, you're in just as intolerant of my beliefs as I am of yours. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the counter to that would be to say, well, no, what we're intolerant of is your extreme intolerance. Uh, which is a, a big distinction. Yeah, and this it's is like a, you're you're intolerant of my racism. It's like that's right. not a gr- great argument. <laughs> yeah, but uh, that's like one of those things that's like okay, well, it, yeah, it, you can't just be tolerant of everything. Like there is a line, and like you know, racism is a really good example of that. It's a really great line that society shouldn't just be tolerant of that. But you know. How can you figure out how to apply tolerance to the people who feel that way? Like, can right. it, can you be tolerant on an individual level as as their neighbor or their coworker or the the fellow grocery store shopper to where you can display some uh-huh. form of tolerance with them without supporting or, or allowing their their you know tolerance for their beliefs of their racist beliefs? You know, it, yeah. it's it's I think. The reason why we are not a fundamentalist podcast, Chuck, is because we're not saying this is the answer. This is this is what you do. There aren't any answers right now, but there's a lot of different ideas floating around that could work or might not. I think music can be a uniter. I think sports fandom can be a uniter. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you'll never see a more tolerant, harmonious place than like at a Falcons game in the South, in the deep South. Mm-hmm. You know, black and white people, like uh, urban versus some of the most rural rednecky type folks you could imagine. Sure. Like arm in arm for the same cause. And it's a dumb football game, but like there are small lessons to be found, I think, in those situations. Oh, yeah, for sure. I remember um, reading a study years back that people who were super racist, uh, who lived in towns where, um, like uh, Hispanic, I can never remember, or Latin, Latinx people had come to live. Uh-huh. There was like a large population of Latinx people to where they lived among them where they might still support like immigration policies right. um, or anti-immigration policies, but they would be like, but not my town. Like they had developed tolerance without even realizing it, and their their overall beliefs hadn't caught up yet. So maybe they were still voting one way, but as far as that person that they knew down the street, they were not about to let that person get deported. Not my town, kind of thing. And mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, so I think whether it's a Falcons game or a, a like a, a musical rock concert, um, <laughs> bringing people of, of you know disparate backgrounds together does foster tolerance. I think too. And you know, it may not. I'm not saying that uh, these people at the Falcons game walk out of there forging lifelong friendships and they're <laughs> sure. like, you know what? Why don't we get together tomorrow for lunch? But, you know, there are there are small experiences that maybe can add up to something at some point right. in life. I don't know. I'm, I'm like, 
I feel desperate for people to get along better. Yeah, for sure. And there are people out there who are saying, like, what are you talking about? No, we should not even be, uh, we should be isolating people with racist beliefs. Um, no, it's not enough to just have somebody, like, uh, have fun at a Falcons game. Like, we are way beyond that point. And, I mean, I get that argument, too. Like, I don't necessarily subscribe to it, but I can get how people are like, no, we're at, like, five alarm stage. We need to figure yeah. out huge, radical responses of fundamentalism right now because they're knocking at the door of our the highest levels of government. And if they're an infection on society, we've got huge problems because they are growing and gaining strength. So I, I totally get both both arguments or both ways. Yeah. One other thing, Chuck, one. I you think. You got something else? <laughs> yeah, one more thing. Um, so religion has a place in modernized society. It helps people from feeling totally crazy. Um, if you need a sense of community, go join a religious group that's like a built-in, ready-made community for you who's going to accept you into it. Absolutely. Moderate and progressive, I should say, um, groups. Um, but there's the, the religion doesn't have to be the only institution in society that addresses things like angst and unease and... Um, you know, a need for reassurance. Like, what if society, what if, what if science, what if, um, I don't, culture in general just kind of undertook this project of finding meaning in this crazy modern world mm -hmm. and like helping reassure people? Like, that's what people join fundamentalist movements for is reassurance. Ultimately, that is the basis of joining a fundamentalist movement. They, they want to feel reassured that everything's going to be okay. And if you can find equally reassuring alternatives to fundamentalism, I would guess that fundamentalism, I don't think it would ever fully go away. There's always going to be fundamentalists. But they would be so increasingly small and insular that you could conceivably just generally let them do their own thing and tolerate them. Maybe so. Okay, that's it. <laughs> he said with a resigned sigh. <laughs> uh, well, I'm just going to ask just to button it up. You got anything else? I got nothing else. I don't either, Chuck. Uh, if you want to know more about fundamentalism, start researching it. There's a lot out there that will probably open your eyes. And since I said uh, open your eyes, it's time for listener mail. Uh, this is about vasectomies. Oh, yeah. Uh, and by the way, we heard from a few dudes that are that already have said, and this is day one of getting emails in real time, that, hey, vasectomies aren't quite as painless as y'all made it out to be, by the way. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess it can vary, obviously, from person to person, but sure. we've had quite a few guys that were like, it hurt bad for a couple of days, and I was huh. very uncomfortable for a couple of weeks. Poor guys. So just wanted to say that. Uh, hey, guys, listen to the vasectomy episode. have to say you're doing a great service by disseminating this information. Uh, I'm a 26-year-old who's been with my uh, wife for almost nine years. Uh, we've talked... Oh, wow. Got married young. Good for you. Yeah. Uh, we've talked about not wanting children for years, but uh, made the jump to getting a mastectomy in July. Uh, for me, it was relatively painless, but for the rest of that day, it did feel like I, someone had landed a low-blow punch. <laughs> uh, the next day, I had a little pain with the use of ice packs. Uh, uh, it was fine, and by day three, I was back to exercising. Uh, after a couple of months, I feel psychologically and sexually liberated. Uh, our friends stated their concerns on how we would move on if regret crept in. Mm -hmm. uh, since we made this decision about not wanting children, um, having biological children is not a concern. And if we ever regret it, because life is never definite, we can look at adopting. Nice. Highly this recommend. This guy's got all the answers. He should start a fundamentalist group. Got all the answers. Uh, you guys mentioned that uh, it should be called a vasotomy because there isn't anything removed. But with my procedure, and for others I've seen on YouTube, uh, they remove about one centimeter of the vas completely and send it to a tissue sampling. So technically, ectomy still works in this case. Oh, yeah. uh, thank you for the years of knowledge and entertainment. You two put special comfort in the podcast realm. Wishing you unburdened ejaculations. <laughs> uh, that is from Ryan. Very nice, Ryan. Thank you. And for uh, everyone here in the United States, about one centimeter of vast deference is 0 0.39370087 inches. <laughs> well done. Uh, if you want to be like Ryan and share your viewpoints and have us be like, wow, this guy really knows what he's talking about, you can send us an email too. And Guy, of course, is, as always, gender neutral because we're in a modern society and we love that fact. 
Anyway, you can send us that email to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Hey, everybody, if you've been looking for love at first sight, it's closer than you think. It can be found at your local shelter. So this June 7th to June 9th, join the Pedigree Adoption Drive and the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Pedigree knows that bringing a dog into your home not only opens their heart, it can open yours too. Visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more and see full terms and conditions. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island. It becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.